following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Good evening. Today's Bible reading is taken from Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than a 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Maeve. I'm one of the curates at St Nick's. How are you doing this evening? Me? I'm fed up since you ask. I'm fed up of Covid. I'm fed up of lockdown. I'm fed up of working from home, of not being able to go to church. I'm fed up of preaching to you through an iPad. And I'm fed up with other people, with conspiracy theorists and people who claim COVID's a hoax. I'm fed up with the people I pass on my daily walks. I'm fed up with that group who were out with no social distancing and no masks. I glared at them and growled, obviously. Okay, I admit it. In the words of Billy Connolly right now, it's not very hard to tell the difference between me and a little ray of sunshine. And maybe that's affected how I read Jonah this time round. This is the last of our mini sermon series on the book of Jonah. So like any good mini series, it's where all the plot lines get resolved. Well, yes, except they don't. In fact, this literally ends on a question from God about animals. But we'll come back to that. But first off, a quick recap. God sent Jonah on a mission. Go to the city of Nineveh and call them out for their wickedness. In fact, Jonah does a runner. 
he heads to the docks and jumps on a ship going in totally the opposite direction. So God sends a huge storm over the sea and Jonah ends up getting turfed overboard. But God sends a huge fish to swallow Jonah and save him from drowning. And after three days and nights in the belly of the fish, the fish vomits him onto the shore. And again, God sends Jonah to Nineveh. And this time he does go. And he warns the people that in 40 days, the city will be overturned. So the Ninevites repent. I mean, repent big time. Everyone from the king to the youngest citizen, even the sheep and the goats fast and wear sackcloth. God relents and saves the city. What a result. Jonah must be thrilled. Well, not exactly. As today's reading starts, we hear, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Now, any preacher I know will be thrilled to preach a sermon which caused one person to turn them around, change their life and turn towards God. Whereas Jonah's called out Nineveh and the whole city repented. Not just any city, the capital of the mighty and terrible Assyria, the kind of evil galactic empire of its day. And Jonah is angry. And boy, is he angry. It all comes pouring out. Seriously, God, what's the point threatening the bad people if you don't follow through? Don't you get it? They're bad people, evil. It's not good enough for them to say sorry and you go, well, all right, well, don't do it again then. No. And by the way, I knew you'd do this. That's why I did a runner, to stop this happening. Now, let me die. OK, there are two ways to look at this. One is to try to understand where Jonah's coming from. Yes, he is upset that God chose mercy over destroying a whole city, but that's because Jonah has a high view of divine justice and the importance of divine consistency. He thinks God was a bit slow to judge the Assyrians, but now he has done and declared judgment, he should follow through on it. And if there's no certainty in the justice of God, there's no certainty in the world. If you can't depend on the Lord to act like a God is meant to, life isn't worth living. Jonah might as well die. Another way to look at it is that Jonah has just delivered the most effective message in the history of preaching and prophecy, which caused the capital of the evil empire to turn to God. And because God didn't smite them like he said he would, Jonah says there's no point to anything and he might as well be dead. In other words, Jonah is having a massive sulk. And why? Well, in chapter three, we're told that Jonah went around the city shouting, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But then, of course, they repented and God forgave them and now Nineveh will survive. So does maybe Jonah think this makes him look stupid? Or maybe he's just finding it hard to make a huge shift in persona from angry prophet to gracious servant of God. But then, you know, Jonah has just described the Lord using words from Exodus 24, from the depths of scripture. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. But he doesn't really mean it, does it? Does he? In fact, he doesn't approve of this aspect of God. Jonah doesn't want divine mercy. He wants divine judgment. And yet he seems oblivious to the irony of his own position. If he stopped to think for a minute, he'd remember that he has just flat out refused to obey a direct command from God. And yet God had mercy on him, even sending a big fish to save him from drowning. And now he's angry at God's compassion. Jonah is angry that God's not angry enough. I'm an irony squared. And in verse four, God's response is brief. Is it right for you to be angry? 
Jonah doesn't answer. He heads eastward to a spot outside Nineveh and he sets up a sort of makeshift camp where he can sit and watch what happens to the city. I mean, the 40 days are not up yet. Maybe God will change his mind. Or maybe the Ninevites will go back to their old ways and prove him right. But then a strange thing happens. God causes a leafy plant to spring up miraculously over Jonah to give shade for his head. And we hear Jonah was very happy about the plant. But then at dawn, God sends a worm to attack the plant so it withers. And then God sends a scorching east wind and the sun beats down on Jonah so he grows faint. It's all too much to bear. Jonah wants to die again. Okay, there's a certain amount of wordplay and symbolism going on in the original Hebrew, which I think is worth pausing to bring out. When Jonah's sitting outside the city, he is angry and he is hot. Now the Hebrew verb chara means both to be angry and to be hot. As Logan has taught me, there's a lovely idiom in Hebrew in which to say I became angry with someone, you say my nose became hot. So here is Jonah sitting with a hot nose in both senses. Jonah's burning with anger and now God has sent a scorching east wind to burn him. But God had mercy on Jonah and provided a plant to shelter him as the fish had before. And the Hebrew here again is ambiguous. Now I read from commentators that you can actually interpret the phrase as meaning either to shade him from his distress, referring to the sun, that's where our church Bibles go, or to deliver him from his wickedness, referring to Jonah's rather unreasonable anger. But either way, Jonah was very happy about the plant. And presumably he reckoned its miraculous appearance was a good sign, a sign God wanted to protect him, whether from the sun or his own self-inflicted distress or both. Whichever way you look at it, it must be a good sign. But then the worm comes and attacks it. And in his commentary on Jonah, Alexander points out that the word translated attack is the same verb used of the sun beating down or attacking Jonah. And Simon, in his commentary, points out that verses 6 and 7 start almost identically, but they show two opposite aspects of God's nature, his ability to deliver and to destroy. As the one who gives life, he also has the right to bring it to an end. Jonah's had enough. He's so angry about the loss of the plant that he wants to die. And God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And then God basically says, come on, Jonah, you're worried about this plant, even though you didn't plant it or nurture it. Now, of course, God knows Jonah wasn't even worried about the plant for its own sake, but what it meant to him. But the point is made. You worry about the plant, but you don't want me to worry about Nineveh with 120,000 people and the animals. And that's where the book of Jonah ends. It's not a tidy ending. We don't know what happens to Jonah next. But in four short chapters, we do know a lot has happened to him. He's tried to run away from God and failed. He's argued with God and lost. He's convinced himself he knew better than God. And he's realised his own frailty and limitations. That he's helpless before the raging sea or the beating sun or the fierce scorching east wind. Now, some Jewish commentaries on Jonah actually see it as a comedy, or at least a farce, at least. And yet this story is also read in synagogues on Yom Kippur, the most solemn day of atonement. 
And both of those speak to me because I think the story is at heart about two things. First, it's about who God is. Jonah thinks he knows better than God. He thinks he knows what is good and what is right better than God does. Better than the God who created him. Jonah's forgotten the most basic truth there is. That God is good, God is holy, God is true. By definition, God is what goodness and holiness and truth look like. And second, Jonah's forgotten he's a creature, utterly dependent on his creator. He's so sure he's right that he ignores God and tries to take matters into his own hands, believes he's in charge. And it doesn't go well, does it? I mean, the shipwreck, the big fish, the vomiting, the fainting. And even the thing that went well wasn't down to him. It was God that sent him to Nineveh. And if his mission was successful, it's because it was the word of God he was preaching, not the word of Jonah. Jonah can't make things happen on his own. As God demonstrates, quite practically, it was God who made the plant grow up. He's Lord of all that grows. It was God who sent the fish and the worm to do his bidding. He's Lord of all creatures. It was God who created all things and all people, including Jonah and all the people of Nineveh, all 120,000 of them, adults, children, animals, budgies, hamsters. And God chose to have mercy on the people of Nineveh because he loved them. So what does any of this mean for us? Now, I'm aware it may seem ridiculous to you that Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh saved. But can you honestly say, honestly, that there is nobody that at some level you secretly think doesn't deserve God's mercy? Nobody? Not even the ones who drive you mad? The ones who behave badly? I mean, really badly? The ones who represent everything you hate? the ones who show no mercy themselves. Now, the mercy and judgment of God are above my pay grade and yours. But I know this, that God loves every one of those people and wants nothing more than to call them close. Because no matter what anyone has done, no matter who they are, what they're like or what they believe, God wants nothing more than to see them turn their lives around to face him to the place where true life and joy are to be found. Now, if you're watching tonight and you don't yet know God, please know you only have to reach out your hand and you'll be welcomed with open arms. If you'd like to know more, get in touch. We have an Alpha course running at the moment. Just check out our website or our Facebook page. But if you do know God, you probably already know that you need divine mercy and love every bit as much as Jonah. Because the really good news is when we mess up and crawl back to God, asking for his help, he's there. And the next time, and the time after that. And I think that's the twin message of Jonah, as both truth and farce. The deep truth of the great love and mercy that God has for his creatures. And the farce of human messiness that shows just how much and how often we need that love and mercy. One final point struck me reading Jonah in lockdown. Recently, I've spoken to lots of people who are struggling. Some are feeling anxious, but others have been surprised at how angry they are. They say it's like being on a hair trigger. It takes almost nothing to set them off, to, that they snap at someone for the slightest offence. 
And I wonder if one of the deep impacts of lockdown is a loss of agency. I mean, we live in a world where we are encouraged to define ourselves and our identities by the choices we make, by the clothes we wear, the things we buy, the jobs we do, the places we go to, the friends we meet. And suddenly our worlds have shrunk and we get to make very few choices. And while key workers are out there on the front line, the rest of us are only allowed to leave the house once a day. And that can leave us feeling trapped and powerless, unable to choose anything, unable to control anything. But you know, Jonah thought he had all the freedom in the world. And where did it get him? All roads led to Nineveh. Because the real choice, the really important choice, was the one the Ninevites made, at least on that fateful day, whether or not to recognise God and to walk in his ways. And that's a choice we can make even in deepest lockdown. Whatever situation we're in and whatever challenges we face, it's a choice we make every day when we pray, even if all we do is sit for two minutes in silence and then say, God, I'm yours. That's a choice that shapes our identity as much-loved children of God. So in the next week, especially at those moments when you're feeling trapped or angry or miserable, remember these deep truths of Jonah, that God is good, and that we are utterly dependent on him for every breath we take, for every moment of life. Because to know that and to trust God actually makes us completely safe and paradoxically, truly free. Because the world and you are in really good hands. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.